Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in with Sportsnet.ca's Ken Weave in Arizona, still covering the Jets from down there. Don't get too jealous of the warmth that he's enjoying. We'll talk about Nikolai Ehlers returning to the Jets lineup and their need to win lots of games starting Friday night against Dallas. We'll also check in with Morley Scott of Ched in Edmonton, the voice of the Elks. The Elks have a new helmet. We'll talk about that as well as the new look they have on the field with Chris Jones and new players coming in. That's all coming up on the podcast. We welcome in Sportsnet.ca's Ken Weeb, who covers the team, writes for CJOB as well, contributes on our pre and game shows on occasion. Ken, how are you doing tonight? Christian, uh, greetings from Arizona, doing uh, excellent. Thank you. How about yourself? Good. Doing well. I, I, you heard the weather forecast, I'm sure. You're probably liking it down there a little better than here. Uh, yeah, I don't think we want to compare notes. Otherwise, people will be sending uh, unhappy messages to the uh, Twitter DMs, I think. So uh, certainly enjoying uh, just the fact that I'm able to do this hit from the backyard patio tells me all I need to or that's all I need to share right now. I'm not, I'm I not here to rub like it in at all. There's a fountain or something in the background here. It sounds very tranquil. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get the tranquility. The other day when I was on with Jim, we had the hummingbird in the background. So uh, the ambient sounds are here. Uh, it's not not the same as a Zamboni, but uh, we'll no. try to we'll try to stay away from it. But uh, tranquility is always the goal. But you can still do your job from down there. Still covering the Jets. Still watching indeed. the game. Still listening to the the post game. Still doing the Kenny and Rennie post game shows after the Jets games uh, in a very casual outfit, more so than Sean Reynolds in his suit <laughs> uh, from the home games. But uh, just your thoughts first, Ken, on the Jets win two in a row. They beat two bad teams. How much credit do they get for for winning games they needed to win? Well, it's a good question. Uh, I think at this point they would uh, they would say it's not how, it's how many, but uh, at the same time, I don't think that the way that they played against Arizona was necessarily sustainable. Uh, I mean, yes, the third period was solid, but uh, I would say there was a little bit of sleepwalking happening at times in the first 40 minutes, and uh, I guess the uh, Jekyll and Hyde game against Montreal, I guess they would have been thrilled with the 4 nothing lead. They would have been very unhappy with uh, giving up four in a row, and then they'd be happy with how they finished the game, but... Uh, I mean, again, they're six points back. I mean, how they play against Dallas is much more important than how they played in the last two games. But uh, they get credit for finding the back of the net. I mean, we've been we've been uh, pounding on them for the lack of uh, offense, and you know, almost half their games where they had two goals or fewer. So if they put up eight, I guess you have to give them some credit. But uh, at the same time, if they want to be a legitimate playoff team, uh, they have to do more than just win two games in a row. Uh, there have been signs of turning things around, but again, in order to make people believe, uh, they're going to have to win some games against the teams that they're chasing, like the Dallas Stars. And I mean, the New York Rangers are in a very solid position, and we know the Tampa Bay Lightning are threatening for a three-peat. So uh, we'll know more by the end of this homestand, I guess, is how I would best describe that question. Absolutely. and Yeah, they got the, the easiest game hypothetically out of the way on Tuesday night. Now they have a Dallas team coming in that's up by six points on the Jets, but they get Nikolai Ehlers back in the lineup, skating today on a line with Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp. How much of a boost is this for them as they try to score goals more consistently because in games they win, they're scoring like six to eight goals and the games they lose, they're scoring (laughs) one or two. Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, Nikolai Ehlers is such an important piece of this team. And I think that what we've seen during the struggles is how much they really missed him. 
I mean, he missed basically almost a quarter of his season. And I mean, this is a guy that, yes, his raw production wasn't quite at, you know, we thought maybe this was the year he became a, you know, 35, 40 goal guy and a point of game player. But I mean, just so many other things to impact the game. I mean, he's a penalty drawing machine, zone entry maestro, I think was the term I used in my column today. But uh, he just, because of his speed, he pushes the defenders back. He opens up seams for his line mates and he just brings that kind of exhilaration to the game because basically every time he touches the puck, something exciting might happen. And uh, I like where he's being eased in on this. I mean, I know some people want him put in, hey, let, let's make this abundantly clear. Uh, yes, the Jets talked about balanced and scoring and all those things, but uh, if Nikolai Lehler starts the game on a third line with Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry, their depth is you know exponentially better than it's been for the majority of the season. And this is not a permanent place for him unless things go uh, incredibly well there but uh, it's a good place to ease him back in and he will provide a massive boost at a time when the Jets really need one I mean uh, you know the last couple games we've been talking about finally the top two centers are clicking at the same time now you throw Nikolai Ehlers into the the Jets suddenly go from a team that doesn't have a ton of depth on the bottom six to a team that's bottom nine looks pretty capable if they can all be clicking at the same time. Nikolai Ehlers out 19 games. The Jets went 7-9-3 and three without him. And you wrote for CGOB.com, Ken, about Adam Lowry's offensive resurgence, scoring yeah. three goals in the last three games, four goals to assist in the last seven. And now he centers that line with Kaufman and Ehlers. And you're right, now all of a sudden, with potentially being able to roll three lines that can be threats as opposed to just kind of two and a third or two and a half lines, that's a huge boost for this team. Yeah, it really is. And the thing with Lowry, I mean, we know that he, you know, he's a guy, big physical guy. He gives them a component they don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of body checks and physical play against big opponents. Uh, but he's also a great penalty killer. But, I mean, again, this is a guy that, you know, the Jets committed five years at a, you know, contract north of $3 million. And Adam's a guy who, you know, he's been a double-digit scorer four times. And uh, he takes a lot of pride in being that complimentary scorer. So the fact that he went so long in the season with, you know, two or three goals, that was kind of weighing on him. And now you're seeing him, you know, you got a little extra jump in your step. Uh, it's a little bit easier to get to the net. I mean, it started with his shorthanded play, and then now it's kind of translated into some five-on-five. And, you know, next thing you know, you get Andrew Kopp back, and now Nikolai Ehlers is in there. And, yeah, I mean, that is a legitimate threat. I mean, we know the identity of the third line has kind of been in flux throughout most of the year because Kopp played most of the year in the top six. Lowry's had a kind of revolving door of line mates. They haven't always taken on the defensive zone responsibilities that he's used to having. But now the line is really clicking, and Adam's done an excellent job in that role. And, I mean, as you and I have discussed with you know, Yevgeny Svechnikov, I mean, he's been a uh, integral part of that complementary scoring uh, increase as well uh, since being reunited with Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois, for sure. Is that line that you just mentioned with Dubois, Connor, and... <laughs> Uh, Sveshnikov, is that the top line now for this team? Well, I understand it is definitely room for debate there, for sure. Uh, in terms of production lately, I would say yes. I mean, in terms of ice time, Mark Shifley's line still, uh, in most of the nights, 
gets a little bit extra ice time, and some of that is on the power play. I mean, yes, uh, I mean, again, Dubois and Connor are also on that first unit, but uh, I think the uh, what we were talking about for a long time uh, under Paul Maurice, I mean, the change has been that the Dubois, minute, Dubois minutes compared to Shifley's are a lot closer now, so I would say it's more of a 1A and 1B situation, but uh, they've definitely closed the gap in ice time, and when it comes to contributions, I would say, uh, it's still fair to say that the Dubois line has been more consistent than the Shifley line throughout the course of the year. But what I am here to tell you and what I wrote on the weekend after the game in Arizona here, uh, the Jets are a much more dangerous team when both of those lines are going at the same time, which has been pretty infrequent for the majority of the season. But uh, they're going to need them to be really good uh, in the final quarter and change here. Well, I think one of the big differences between those lines and the, the analytics would back this up is that the Dubois line, it's is scoring as much as maybe the, that other the Shifley line is, but they're just better defensively. They do a better job keeping gut pucks out of their own net than the Shifley Wheeler Stasty combination does. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's always been kind of the issue or the question mark since the you know twenty eight seventeen eighteen season and a little bit for twenty eighteen nineteen. But uh, can that line give up less than it? produces and I mean that's always been the kind of the challenge uh, and I think that's that's probably honestly part of the reason why Paul Maurice kind of took Kyle Connor off that line yes I mean some of that was due to injury but uh, the reason why he stayed there is because of the connection that Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor have forged for themselves and uh, I mean too we, we know that you know when Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler are rolling and there's two-way play that line can be very dominant at times as well but uh, that's why I say I like the engagement level a lot higher the last couple of games. Uh, I mean, we know that Mark Schleifte kind of drew some attention to himself by saying he was welcoming a challenge from Jake Evans if there was one to come. And uh, I know there's a lot of social media debate about the the gesture on the way off the ice. Uh, to me, that was just a guy having fun. I don't think he, he was certainly not suggesting he uh, wiped, mopped the floor with his opponent in the fight, nor was he trying to incite his opponent. But... Uh, sometimes the opponent doesn't see things the same way. So uh, maybe there's just a little bit of an added spice level for that return match at the Bell Center uh, next month, I guess. But uh, to me, no big deal. Uh, I like the engagement. And when that engagement is there for 200 feet, uh, Mark Shifley is a very dangerous player. We know he's incredibly gifted offensively. And, um, you know, when you see that same effort level in the defensive zone, it makes him, you know, that's what's made him a high-end player for a really long time. But he's got Josh to do Anderson. it consistently down the stretch. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Josh Anderson after the game Tuesday said they didn't like what he did after the, after the. If you want to call it a fight, it wasn't much of one. They play on the eleventh well, exactly. Of April. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's a four goal lead with less than five minutes to go. His night is over, and so he's just yeah, like he said Tuesday, he's just happy for a big win. What Ken's referencing for listeners who don't know is that uh, former official Tim Peel who basically right. lost his job for uh, revealing the secret that refs don't call the game or like they're probably supposed to, said in a tweet today uh, about his reaction, quote, zero respect for Mark Shifley. What he did to Jake Evans last year was brutal. He has never had any respect for the officials. Either way to go, Chris Weidman, much respect for you, close quote. It's a ref that's you know showing obvious signs of letting a, a bias affect his decision-making. Perhaps he did that as a, as a ref too, but that's social media for you, Ken. People just, you know, can say what they want. Yeah, they get fired up for sure. And uh, again, I mean, how many other officials share that opinion? We don't know, but uh, to me, I think it's, to me, it's more much of a do, but it, it, you know, for the folks who like to have airtime to fill, it's certainly a subject to discuss, but 
Um, yeah, I mean, it was a bit eye-opening for sure, but uh, these are kind of things we, you know, let's see where it goes as the season wears on. And I mean, congratulations to Chris Weidman for what? For putting Mark Shifley in a headlock and then, you know, falling to the ice together? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what he's being congratulated for really either. Uh, standing up for a teammate, sure. Um, and again, we know that you know, Chris Weidman wasn't on the team last year, but, you know, yeah. a good way to ingratiate yourself to your new team is to stand up for a teammate, I guess. But, again, I'm with you. That That's – I don't even – he's lucky that that's even called a fight, both parties. <laughs> he could have probably got away with roughing, give him two and twos and tens. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just – to me, like I said, that's no big deal. Uh, so so often there's not a lot of joy in hockey. And you know what? I'm also fine with Josh Anderson being p- ticked off about it because you know what? If I'm Josh Anderson and I'm on the second worst team in the NHL, I've got lots of reasons to be ticked off. And if I need to get motivated by uh, suggesting I didn't like what somebody else did, fine. But uh, to me, that's uh, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. Uh, but again, that's I'm not trying to tell players how to feel, but... I think there uh, that was that was a very that would be a very low registering event in the uh, scale of uh, of anger meters for me personally. Just before I let you go, Ken, looking at the nine games between now and the trade deadline, is is the next three games really the big determination, or do we have to wait till really almost at the twenty first to figure out what's going to happen here? Yeah, I mean, the buyer, I mean, again, I don't see any buying. It's either sell or stand pat for me uh, in terms of what the Jets, uh, you know, game plan is going to be. And, I mean, as I've said with Sean on the Kenny and Rennie show, I still think it's more likely that Kopp and Stastny are moved unless the Jets go on a ridiculous run over this next stretch of games where they get above the playoff line. Hovering around the line, to me, I'm not sure is enough. Uh, obviously, we know Andrew Kopp is very... I mean, both those guys are valuable players. I mean, I think they both, what? They both have 13 goals and uh, contribute in a lot of areas. But if they're not going to sign those guys and they're not going to win four rounds, and I understand all you got to do is get in, but, uh, I mean, not a lot of people would write the Jets down for a team that can win 16 playoff games. Uh, if they can prove people wrong, I mean, they'll be thrilled. But uh, to me, and as we talked about, I think, last time, I think the Jets have to be thinking about... Um, pieces that can help them both now and in the future. I don't think this is a thing where you just take assets and draft picks. Uh, they're, if, if they choose to sell, they have to retool on the fly and bring in contributing players, whether that's an Owen Tippett in Florida or a Matthew Joseph, somebody like that, to go along with a prospect or a pick. That, that's fine if that's the way that they go. But that's why it's so interesting. With Ehlers coming back, they're getting close to full health. Yes, Cole Perfetti's still sidelined, but in terms of veteran players who've been contributors for a longer stretch they're close to their uh, optimal roster you know obviously Perfetti would help them but uh, what they do I don't think the next three games I'd, I'd have to go into that road trip by the end of the road trip we're going to know if the Jets are in it or not that, that's my personal view and that's when we'll have a better idea of when these deals will be made and as we've talked about so often Christian even guys like Kopp and Stastny who have manageable contracts and even if maybe the Jets could take 50 percent uh, retention in order to raise the value a lot of those teams that aren't in LTIR, they're going to have to wait until close to the deadline. So it kind of creates a little bit of a push and pull when it comes to what happens and, and who can make strikes. I mean, not every team has the ability to be like Brad Treliving and make that early Tyler Toffoli strike. Uh, and we know, obviously, it's a different situation because these are two rental players. But uh, fascinating times around this team, and uh, we're going to learn a lot over these next 10 days, that's for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. Ken, appreciate your time. Enjoy your time in uh, Arizona where you don't have to wear pants. <laughs> Thanks very much, Christian. Great to be with you, and uh, enjoy the games uh, this weekend. 
Let's go to Edmonton now, and we're joined by our friend Morley Scott, the voice of the Elks. Morley, how are you tonight? Good, uh, Christian. How are you doing? Good. So the Elks have new helmets. Tell me about them. Yeah, they're nice. Uh, the big EE logo is back, and I think it, it, it's kind of uh, one of the uh, the pet peeves of new president uh, Victor Kui, who uh, says uh, that the fans wanted it back, and he said he's one of those fans who wanted it back, and that's what kind of was the, the impetus of the move, and, and uh, it's one of the first things he, of course, has, has done in his, uh, in his uh, month on the job here. And it seems to be going over very well so far, uh, at least if, if Twitter's to be the judge, uh, people's reaction is, is pretty positive towards it. So, uh, yeah, it's good. It, it's kind of a neat link to the past, but it still, you know, pushes things forward. And, and, and that's, I think, what the Elks want to do. They don't want to forget about their past. And uh, this kind of makes a lot of the old timers in the stands happy because uh, a lot of people were upset with the name change, realized it had to be made, but upset by it. Uh, but this is... is kind of throwing them a bone a little bit to bring back the old logo. So looking at uh, last year's model, right, coming out of that name change, it was, you know, they were talking, there was more elk-based that helmet was than, I guess, this new helmet was, this one more of a, of a nod to just the double E more than anything. Yeah, the, the, the elks, you know, they had the antlers on it last year, which I kind of liked, uh, and I, but I didn't realize I missed the double E as much as, as I have when I saw it today on the new helmet. But they had the antlers last year, and they took that racing stripe off that was down the middle of the helmet. So uh, the stripe is back. Uh, the EEs are back on the sides of the helmet. And it's a different-looking EE logo, too. It's not in that circle like it has been in years past. It's it's kind of a standalone EE. It's got a different look to it. The E's are a little bit bigger. So it is uh, one of ten variations they had. Uh, Victor Kui was saying today that, they took all the helmets because they wanted, you know, up, up close, they all looked pretty good, but uh, they put them all in the, in the center of the field and they went and sat in the stands while well, the center of the snow covered field. And they went and sat in the stands to look and see how the helmets looked from a distance and, and in the sunlight and everything. And, and that's kind of the process they went through to make the decision. And they landed on the one with the, uh, much bigger ease and the outline's a little bit different from all the other ones and, and they're pretty happy with it and as I said the fans seem to, to like it so far especially those with uh, a little more nostalgia in them than others. Yeah, I saw a video of the Elks posted of, of Mookie Mitchell looking at the helmet. The helmet was blurred out in the video but uh, saying he wanted to suit up again. So does, it, does the helmet redesign mean that new jerseys are coming too or is it just a helmet thing? Uh, I think they're doing a bit of a redesign of New Jersey. I'm not sure. I think every is every team getting New Jerseys this year under the New Deal. I'm not sure, uh, I'm not but sure uh, yeah, they're they're making some changes to the jersey because because of the cost involved with it last year with the name change and of course the lack of revenue at all coming through in 2020. Uh, basically, the only change that they made to the jersey was to put a patch over the old name with the new name Elks on it or with Edmonton on it. I can't even remember what it was anymore. Uh, but that was that was pretty much the only change they made. So they're they're redesigning some things. And, you know, it's a football jersey, right? So how different can it be? It's got some stripes and it's got a, two big numbers in the front and big numbers on the back, right? And the question is, do they put numbers on the shoulders of the sleeves and do they put a, a secondary logo on the sleeves? I'm told, uh, I'm hearing that there's going to be uh, numbers on the shoulders and possibly possibly a secondary logo, uh, the Elks logo uh, with the Elk on the sleeves of the jerseys. But that uh, has yet to be released, and, and, and I don't know when that's going to come out. But, uh, yeah, they're going to make some kind of some changes for sure to the uni. Well, it, the colors stay the same. And, and as we've seen with the, the renames of other pro teams, like Washington to the football team to now the Commanders, 
I mean, the Cleveland team to the Guardians. When you make a name change, people will be upset, but also people buy your new stuff in droves. Yeah. If you've got a new yep. designs, if you've got new looks, fans will snap it up. And so it's a, if it's an opportunity to sell a lot of stuff if you're the Elks. Yeah, well, for sure. And and let's uh, you know make one thing clear. They didn't really they, – they went away from the double E on the helmets, but they still sold merchandise with the double E. Uh, players and coaches still wore hats and T-shirts and stuff with the double E on it. The double E didn't go away. It just wasn't on the helmets. And, and they had, you know, some some antler variations as, as their main logo. But there's the double E was still very present, I thought, last year. Now it's going to be on the helmets. And, and you know, I'm sure – that will help sell them. And it's a new looking double E, as I said. So they'll probably put that new look on t-shirts and, and, and golf shirts and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, they'll sell. I think it really helped the Elks last year after a year of, of no revenue in 2020 to come out with the new logo and the new name. Uh, it really helped them in the financial part of the business to sell all that new merchandise. And it went fast. Uh, for the most part, I think that the new name was accepted pretty well and the new merchandise was accepted pretty well. Um, there were some people who obviously are still, you know, if you, you look at some of the comments on, on Facebook and Twitter and all that, mostly Facebook because people are mostly older who don't like it. Uh, you know, they, they like the old name still and they're upset that the old name uh, isn't around anymore. But I think the new name was, was pretty widely accepted for the most part among the majority of people. And they did sell a ton of merchandise. They couldn't keep it on the shelves. The first couple of weeks, they had to they had to make emergency orders to get new merchandise brought in when they first made the announcement back in what was it back in uh, in June of last year. So, uh, yeah, and and now this does. You're right; it gives them a chance to sell some more product as well. So they like the product. A lot of people like the name. The team itself, though, on the field last year, <laughs> not so much. The Elks go three and eleven. It really the wheels fall off pretty quickly. They did not win a home game. They went zero and seven at Commonwealth, which is stunning. Oh, you don't have to remind me of that. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just reminding our listeners in case they forgot. But the the Elks look a lot different this year. The the full front office reboot. Chris Jones is back. They've uh, made a lot of free agent pickups, including spending a lot of money on Kenny Lawler. I, I, I had Dave Campbell on the show your buddy after they hired Chris Jones, just your thoughts on what the team looks like as presently constructed on March 3rd. Uh, I I think they're going to be, it's a Chris Jones team, right? So they're going to be veteran laden with, with some key guys in the veteran spot. And then they're going to be very young and cheap in other spots. And, and he's, he's the master at, at making that mix work somehow. Uh, and he'll, he's taken chances. I mean, he's the master at that too. And I think, Christian, when you're a three and eleven team, you got to take some chances uh, to try and turn it around faster. And I think that's where uh, Manny Arsenal comes in. That's where Darius Bowman comes in. Uh, that's where Martavis Bryant comes in. Uh, they're taking some chances on some guys. And if if one of those three guys who haven't played for a couple of years, none of them, if one of those guys pays off, then it's a good gamble moving forward. Uh, and you have to pay money to get guys. You have to win the bidding wars for a guy like. Kenny Lawler. So, you know, they went out and, and they made some some pretty important changes. I think the biggest, one of the biggest ads they got was Mark Cordy on the offensive line. I mean, he's already, you know, he's just going into his third year. He's already one of the best offensive linemen in the Canadian Football League. You're going to put him beside uh, David Beard, a fellow U of A grad who's one of the best centers in the Canadian Football League. I mean, you got the basis with Matt O'Donnell retiring. You still got the, you still got the core of a really good offensive line. So that was key. And, you know, and, and on defense, he totally worked uh, defense, uh, the defensive side of the ball, going out and, and getting, uh, you know, uh, Toby Antigua, Dion Lacey, uh, who else? Deron Carter. There's another one of those things you can put under taking a little bit of a chance. 
uh, Ed Gainey. I, I, I really think uh, I really think the defense is going to be good. It's going to be a Chris Jones defense with very athletic players making very athletic plays, and I think that will keep them in games. The biggest question mark for me comes on the offensive side of the ball, and particularly at quarterback, which is, is something that's going to really have to play out through training camp. Yeah, the Deron Carter signing was interesting. I know Jones played him as a a man in the secondary a little bit when he was in Saskatchewan. I mean, it's March, so nothing's guaranteed. Just because he signed somebody in March doesn't mean they're going to, or in February, doesn't mean they're going to play for you. They still have to make the team. But obviously a relationship there between those two and giving Carter a shot. He's been out of football for a little bit here. And, And Chris Jones, if you look back in his history, He's got he, he he's got a knack for taking guys and switching positions with them and turning them into pretty good players at different positions. Um, AC Leonard was a receiver until Chris Jones got a hold of him, right? Uh, I mean, uh, it's it's just a, a weird he's got a, a weird knack for it. He switched fullbacks to linebackers and linebackers to fullbacks and had some success with it. And there's a couple of other guys who who've had the the same situation with him. So. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to have some success with Deron Carter because I, I believe and I hope Deron Carter's at 30. He's a little more mature. He's been out of the game now for a couple of years, and he wants to play. He loves the game, and he wants to play. And everything I've heard from Deron Carter since he's been signed is that uh, he is more mature, and he's ready to play, and he's ready to commit to being a good teammate and, and, and being a defensive back. And this will be the first time that he started the season as a DB. And, I mean, it was in the press release that he was a defensive back. So there's no, there's no question mark about this. He's coming to camp as a cornerback. Uh, he played, I think he started six games over two years at cornerback uh, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with Jones there. And uh, he had some success. I mean, he had two pick sixes uh, in, those, in those six games. Uh, he's athletic. He can make plays. Uh, and he's not your typical DB, right? They're DBs because a lot of times they can't, catch the football right they can only knock it down uh, he can catch the football so uh, he's got that going for him as well uh, so uh, I think that's that's going to be something else that's going to be interesting to watch play out uh, because again he fits that mold that Chris Jones like big long lanky uh, athletic guys who can make plays so Martavis Bryant Morley signed as well <laughs> last week and he's a player that has not played football in a number of years he was really good for a short burst of time with the Steelers but then he really burned out of the NFL was suspended a number of times for violating the league substance abuse policy the last time he played it was in 2018 a lot of talent here uh, is this a reclamation project uh to a certain extent yeah and then again here's another guy who who maybe is older and maybe more mature and uh will will take a different attitude towards it but I mean He's he's a tantalizing talent. I mean, I spent some time this week watching his highlight film on YouTube, and I mean, the guy made some plays. Uh, and he wasn't the the number one receiver or the or even the number two receiver in Pittsburgh in his time there, but he still put up some pretty good numbers in his NFL career. He didn't do much in Oakland, but he had 145 uh, catches for over 2,000 yards, had uh, over 700 yards or all about 700 yards one year, and that was in 11 games in his first year. He scored 17 touchdowns. Uh, in his time in the NFL. So he's clearly a guy who can make some plays. And I think, as I said earlier, you know, you got to take some chances with guys. And, and I think they're taking a chance here. But there's really no downside for the Elks because if it doesn't work out, they just cut them and don't have to pay them, right? And if it does pay off, 
uh, it's good for everybody. The Elks will get a great player for a year, and he'll get a chance to do what he wants to do, which is get back, uh, get some tape, and uh, make some waves, and possibly get back to the National Football League. So it's it's really for the Elks a no lose situation, and the upside is is pretty good if indeed it pays off. But there's a lot of question marks. Yeah, you're right. He's he's had issues with uh, suspension because of uh, the substance abuse policies in the National Football League, and again three suspensions. Even the year he had his best year, he he missed four games that year because of because he was suspended at the start of the year uh and ended up playing only 11 games that year so uh he's got a checkered pass there's no doubt about it but man he's got some skill and some talent and it, it could pay off big time for the elks so i'll get you out of here on this morley looking around the landscape of the league based on what you've seen so far with free agent signings and whatnot the elks were in last in the west last year where do you put them at this moment right now uh, I I put them. I, I think they'll be in the hunt for a playoff spot. I think they'll be close, and I think it all is going to depend on on what happens at quarterback. Uh, that's going to be the story of training camp. I think for the Elks, uh, who's going to be uh, the quarterback? Taylor Cornelius, you know, got the start at the end of the year after Trevor Harris was traded. Uh, Nick Arbuckle will get a fresh start. Uh, he's got a new contract and an opportunity now uh, to prove himself. And he's spending uh, one day a week in California throwing balls with Kenny Lawler, and they're getting ready together for training camp. And then you got uh, JT Barrett, who's kind of the wild card coming out of Ohio State and and some some time in the NFL. A guy who is, you know, he can throw, he can run, he can do a lot. And he might be that kind of uh, utility quarterback that Chris Jones like to u- likes to use. And he had a couple of guys here, uh, Pat White and Jordan Lynch, when he was here with the Elks doing that, doing those those kind of things, coming in on third downs and, and doing running plays or, or, or making throws or whatever. So uh, that, to me, is going to be the story, and that will tell you how good the Elks are going to be when they uh, come out of training camp, who their quarterback is. Um, in my belief, it's going to be uh, Arbuckle or Cornelius, I think, coming out of camp. Uh, I don't know if Barrett's got a chance to be the starter just yet, but it's going to be one of those two. And, and if, if, if it's Arbuckle, I think especially he can find that that form he had in Calgary a couple of years back, I think they'll be okay and be able to stay in the hunt because that defense is going to give uh, the offense an opportunity to win some games. They won't have to score a ton of points to win games if the defense plays the way I think it can. Morley, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for checking in, and we'll uh, talk to you again as we get closer to the season. Look forward to it, Christian. Anytime, man. Good to talk to you. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you over the